Today's scripture reading is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 9. I'm reading from the NIV translation, so it was 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 9. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They themselves, first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to the completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. May the Lord add his blessing to our reading. Well, when Solari and I were a lot younger than we are now, we had this, this zeal for God. A real zeal for God. And, and you know that zeal that you have when you put a sticker on the back of your, your car and it says, pray hard? That's what I had. I had this massive sticker on my rear window saying, pray hard. And I remember the day that uh, one of my friends was driving my car for, um, I can't remember why, um, and he was a person of faith. He was, he was. Um, but I let him drive my car late at night and he was in a rush to get home. And he got home with my pray hard sticker blaring on my back window from Springvale South, where I lived, to uh, Ringwood within 20 minutes. Mm. And the, there was a, still the crossing. Uh, there was no, there's no, no crossing at Spring, um, on Springvale Road. There was all, still the train crossings. Yeah, I, um, I realised at that stage that having a, a Pray Hard sticker did two things. It reassured uh, my... Um, uh, drives around us, that as my, my mate drove like a maniac down Springvale Road, um, it reassured them that actually there was someone praying. It's a good start. But it, it, re- it made me realise it sent the wrong message about, about what I valued about God's, uh, what we valued about God's action, uh, God's word, through the actions that we did. But we were zealous. So we do those things and we make a mess of it. We were zealous. At uni, I chose to be with those who didn't know Jesus rather than going to the, the Christian unions and, and the other um, sort of groups that, that um, had sort of said, come along, come and do the Christian thing. And I went, well, no, I'd rather stick around with those other people. I'd went, I went to the pubs a lot. I didn't drink. I never, I've never drunk. I went to the pubs a lot because I went, I want to be with those who don't know Jesus and I want them to see that there is a, an element of Jesus in, in, in the pubs as well. 
um, there, there was a, a group of us at that stage, this is 20, going back 20, over 20 years ago, there's a group of that sta- at that stage that would, would come together from different churches and we'd come together and we'd, just, we'd pray and we'd say, what, what is God calling us to do? And at one stage, my friends had this idea to bless the poor in our community, in our city. And, and so what we thought we'd do is we'd run an evening, an evangelical night for the homeless within Melbourne. And we had this big plan to do this. So a group of about 20 of us sort of set out. Some of you might remember, I don't know if many of you remember um, us young guys, oh, you were young, <laughs> doing this. But we set out to make this happen. And I don't know how we made it happen, but we hired this hall. I don't know where the money came from. Um, probably we were, we were from all different churches, probably different churches supported us for some reason. But we got, we got this massive hall in South Melbourne that we hired for the night. We got ridiculous amounts of food and cans of drink. We advertised as best we could because we didn't really know anyone around that area anyway. Um, it was pre-Facebook, so there was no groups or anything to, to go to. And, and we tried to do as much as we can to get these people that were in need to come to where we were with all the food and that. And we'd share some testimony with them. And we'd share our life with them. Well, not too many people came, unfortunately. But we were zealous. But I remember some of the team walking around trying to find people out in the streets and bring them in. Hey, there's some free food. Come and get some free food. And, and perhaps at that time it wasn't the best evangelism strategy. Might not have been, but we were so zealous and we wanted the Lord to do something. We wanted to be a massive difference in the lives of those people. But one thing I do remember of that night, and that, that's uh, caught uh, my attention, was we had these homeless men come through the doors and they headed straight for the food tables and they were hungry. They were really hungry. So hungry that they'd, they'd shove their food in their mouth and then look around suspiciously, going, When are they going to tell us to stop? And they'd put cans in their pocket, multiple cans. I don't know how they, they would have been weighed down. And they're looking around thinking that they're being naughty. They're going to tell us that we shouldn't be stealing. Yet I remember walking up to them and saying, don't, don't feel guilty. This is here for you. Take as much as you want. Don't fear taking it. In fact, eat a stack load here, drink as much as you want here, we had a lot of food. And then take as much as you want off with you. And the men couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe that a group of young guys and girls would be doing that for them. And if we bring that back to our first sermon, series, uh, sermon in this series, which was, which was about a month ago now, these men were living in this scarcity mindset. You might remember us talking about the scarcity mindset. They had nothing and the, the host of the party they'd just come to had an unlimited supply, but they couldn't understand that. We said, take as much as you can. And as the host, we said, we've got a, a supply that will go all night. And we did. <laughs> take what you need, it's yours. You don't have to pay for it, you don't have to hold back. It was for them. We wanted to show them what abundance looked like that night. Imagine being the host of a party like that. Imagine being, or being part of a party like that, not so much the host, but imagine going to a party where everything was set out in abundance, in an endless supply. An endless supply of the chicken, little chicken legs. Yeah. 
Prawn sticks in batter with that sauce. It's so good. The little balls with rice in them. You know those little balls with rice? Yeah, imagine that. The uncooked beef strips. I like them. They're good. Sweet sauce. All of this continually through this party that the host has done. All other things like endless drinks, chocolate fountains on tap. The party's not going to run out. It keeps going and going. But when you get there, you see the few trays walking, walked around of the, of the uh, hors d'oeuvres. And they're walking around and you think, oh, I better get some. Because if I don't, I'll miss out. Because you see the chicken wings just going really quickly. The bits of meat aren't quite getting to you because the tray's getting empty. So, so you rush over and get some as much as you can. The host says there'll be plenty, but can you really trust the host? Because all you can see are the plates emptying. So to satisfy your distrust of the host, you say to the waitress, just, uh, I'll have one of the trays. And you grab your own tray. And then you find a little room in the corner of the house that's not being used, and you go and store your hors d'oeuvre tray in that little room. And then you walk out of the room, and you see another hors d'oeuvre tray, and you grab that one as well, and then you go store it in your little place as well. So that when everyone else has exhausted the supplies, you've still got yours. And others see what you're doing. They think, I need to get on board with him. I need, to, I need to go and do the same thing. So they grab an hors d'oeuvre tray and say, can I join your little hors d'oeuvre tray tray and put it all together? Because I don't want to miss out as well. But the host said it's not going to run out. So all of a sudden you've got this little side party happening in your room where you're doing your own stuff and you've got your three or four trays. But that's going to run out. But the host said no. Because in reality, the consequence of not trusting the host of the party is that you've actually missed out on enjoying the party for what it was. You've missed out on the party and the, the enjoyment of the abundance that the host is giving you. It's a scarcity mindset. I'm not going to have enough. I don't trust the host. And because of that, you've missed the whole party. You've missed the abundance if you miss the generosity of the host. When we started out this series, we talked about ravens. Can anyone remember the ravens? Has anyone looked at ravens differently over the last month? <laughs> looked at ravens? Oh, look at that raven. Oh, it doesn't seem to be doing much. Oh, it's picking at a carcass. There you go. <laughs> it seems that they've been invited to the party, haven't they? The ravens, they don't have the latest technology to make them feel special. They don't get likes on Facebook. They don't have the fancy clothes or the latest trends. They're just big black birds. But they've worked out that the host has their back. They're going to be fed tomorrow. And so to draw not a too long bow between, between the host of the party and our, our reaction to it and God's generous abundance is what we're going to do today. We're invited by the eternal host, God, into this party called life where he says, trust me, I have a plan, just like I had a plan for the ravens and the, the, the lilies of the field. So as we started on this sermon series in, in generosity, we looked at this scarcity mindset changing to an abundance mindset, that God is all abundant in all and that abundance is for all. And then we went on to our vocation, which I just said a minute ago. 
And we discussed how through God's generosity to us that we can be generous in how we live our life. And we looked at Jonah and how he was called to share hope with this, this pagan sort of place, the Ninevites. And Jonah said, I don't trust your plan, God, because I don't think they should be saved. So I'm going to walk the other way. And he did it. And Jonah shifted into this scarcity mindset, which God's called me, but I don't trust it, so I'll go my own way. And whilst, he may, whilst we may not have boarded a ship and headed the other way as a stowaway, I'm sure there's plenty of times that you can think of where you've backed out of God's plan. Because we're not convinced that God's plan is the best plan. We have a scarcity mindset at times. So we reason the host doesn't have this endless supply. So we start to do what is right in our own eyes. So this morning we're going to continue on that idea of abundance. And we're going to think about what our response to that abundance is today. So let me pray and then we'll get into what, the, what Paul has to say in Corinthians. So God, help us this morning to understand what our response needs to be to your abundance. Help me to understand or help us to understand your word and how it fits into our life and how we give. Thanks, Lord. Amen. You know, when we think about the generosity of God, we can't go past the ultimate gift that God has given us in Jesus, can we? So John 3.16, we all know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God loved the world. God loves the world. Who is the world? The world is us. The world is not us. It's us. It's, the world is, in essence, the hostile that are against God. Those who have turned their back on God, because that is us. This is a world that rejects God and chooses their own way. This is a world that God so loved. And God's love was so abundant that, that he decided to give of himself for each of us. God gave to those who turned their back on him that they could be with God again. That's a generosity that takes us um, sort of into a, a whole new world of generosity, doesn't it? It's easy to give time and money to those who we like. I'll help you out doing your kitchen. You probably don't want me helping you out doing your kitchen, but I'll help you out doing your kitchen and that um, because I love you. I really enjoy spending time with you and it'll be a great time to spend together. Yet this was God's gift to every human. God's gift to the ones that turn their back on him. Giving a gift to those who deliberately decide to act against you is not really in our mindset, is it? It's easy to give time and money to those who we already like. But giving a gift to those who deliberately decide to push you away, that's not our mindset. That was God's mindset. God's response to the death and destruction of the world is, I'm going to give you a gift. And I'm going to give you Jesus. I wonder when was the last time you decided to give a gift to the very person who is out to get you? Or has smeared your name through the mud? Or has told lies about you? Or has put something up on social media about you? It's such a countercultural idea. It's so out of this world that, that only God could have come up with that one. Because God is the only one who has that much abundance to give 
those who are opposed to him. And the gift we know as an unconditional gift, a gift that we didn't deserve, that we don't deserve, a gift that we didn't even ask for, yet a gift that was freely given because the host of the party knew the need. He sees us at the party hoarding away the starter's tray and he says, you don't, you don't need that anymore. I have given you a gift that means the party lasts forever. James, the brother of Jesus, understood this and expresses it in James 1 verse 17. He says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Imagine viewing the world that way. Every good and perfect gift is from God. The stars, the sun, the moon, the leaves blowing in the breeze, things that we may not see as perfect are from gifts from God. Eggplants, no good. No good. Not a good fruit at all. Vegetable, vegetable. Yeah, not good. But it's a gift from God. Each breath we make, every step we take, all are gifts from God and are good. I wonder if you can view the world in that context. Because when it's hard, when life's not so easy, it's hard to see that, isn't it? When it's a bit tougher, it's hard to understand that. But this is the context from which um, our text from 2 Corinthians comes from this morning. The section of writing from Paul is setting Paul within the context of having asked the early church at Corinth to raise money for the poor and the sick in Jerusalem. In fact, 1 Corinthians 16, Paul asks the churches to do this. He says, On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a portion of his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will be needed. Then on my arrival, I'll send letters with those you recommend to carry your gifts to Jerusalem. So the churches should have been doing exactly that, saving up little bits and pieces of their finances and money. Paul says, set some aside. Be diligent in setting aside a little bit every week that it might build up the kingdom, especially those that are really struggling in Jerusalem. But the reality that Paul finds when he gets back to the Corinthian church is that they've not done what he has asked. And he says, uh, sorry, and so in, Paul, in, in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul navigates the situation of giving through telling the Corinthian church all about the Macedonians. He says, hey, this is what the Macedonians are like. Listen to this. And now, brothers and sisters, this is 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian church. We'll sort of camp there. The word for grace there in the Greek is called is, is charis. Charis? Charis. Charis. It is the same word that is used um, as in a gift, as in being a gift. And the verb, uh, if you put charis into a verb, it's, it's to give a gift. So we've got this word grace and gift that sort of interchange. But the word charis is also the word that can be used as forgiveness. So these, these words, this one word sort of interchanges into a whole lot of different little words in the English text. So as Paul goes through um, one, uh, one, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we'll see this word charis come out, charis come out uh, a fair bit in different words within our, um, our scriptures. So we've got this word. So to forgive in the ancient Greek is really giving a gift, the gift of forgiveness. So we, we, we read um, the verse again in um, chapter 8, verse 1. He says, We want you to know of the grace, the gift 
that God has given you, this grace, this gift, the gift that God has given the Macedonian churches. He wants the Corinthians to understand what this gift is. And the reader might ask the question, what gift did they receive? What gift has come from God? Did their harvest grow in some unexpected way? Did they get some sort of financial windfall? Did they receive the gift of healing for someone who was sick? They are all gifts of grace in some way, shape or form. But the next few verses tell us what that gift is. Verse 2. In the midst of a very severe trial, there, the Macedonians, overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, welled up in generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded for us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. What was their gift? Well, that word when we heard privilege, they, they pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing. That word privilege is actually the same word that we heard for grace. It's this charis. It's about the gift. They saw the gift as having the opportunity to share with God's people what they'd been given. It wasn't something that they'd received from someone else. Hey, we got this money, so we're going to pass it on to you. It was a gift that they give freely. And the Macedonians, they were in severe trial, Paul says. They were already struggling. Yet joy and poverty became rich generosity. Isn't it during the trials that it actually becomes harder to give most of the time? When it's been a lean month and all the bills descend on you all at once, the first thing that goes is often that generous nature of giving, whether it's to the church or to others or whatever it might be, quite simply because that can be used for self. I need it. And in that we hear scarcity mindset, isn't it? I need it because I'm not sure that I'm going to make it. Yet the Macedonians, in their severe trials, they gave, and they gave not just what they could, they gave beyond their ability to give. Why did they do that? Why did they sort of abandon themselves to give a little bit more than they actually could? Because they saw the giving as the gift. It was a privilege. It was a gift to share in the Lord's, with the Lord's people. And it exceeded Paul's expectations. They gave, in verse 5 it goes on, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. It's an amazing verse because the Macedonians, they saw it as a privilege to give. They gave a little bit more than they could and now we're being told why they give it. Because the Macedonian church first did one thing. They got it around the right way. They said, we're going to worship God first and foremost. We're going to give ourselves to God. That was their first step, is God first. We're going to be living sacrifices. And it would seem that from their transformation in Christ, that they gave with abandon. They gave with great joy. It wasn't a burden for them. It was a privilege for them to give. Christ first. Then assess your giving. Do we do it around that way? Paul's almost giving the Corinthian church a bit of a slap on the wrist, isn't he? This is what they do. I wonder where you're at. 
And maybe Paul's doing that with us a little bit as well. He's, he's urging us, would you give yourself to the Lord first and foremost? Make the Lord number one in your life. And that by the will of God, you would then consider what your godly giving might be to the kingdom. And you know, when it comes to us today in a world where financial freedom is a real struggle, I can't even fathom the type of loans our kids are going to have in 15, 20 years' time. The idea of giving to the work of God, a work that you personally may not see the benefit of, or getting a a net investment return, it's becoming more of a strain on families and on people. The National Church Life Survey statistics show that the idea of a tithe, this giving of 10% of your earnings to God, is no longer something that is religiously observed as such. In fact, there was a question on the survey that was asked about whether tithing was an unrealistic expectation of the church. And only 34% of the church, of people surveyed, said that they disagreed or disagreed strongly. 34%. Only a third of people surveyed in this big survey believe that, it was, uh, that it's not unrealistic to give 10%. At least 66% of churchgoers in the survey either agreeing, strongly agreeing, or not sure about what this is all about, whether it's a realistic thing. The idea of a tithe is actually an Old Testament ideal as such. The Israelites were required to pay a tax, and the tithe was their tax as such. But the New Testament doesn't specifically say 10%. It doesn't give you the magic number there. The church has sort of rolled on with it, I suppose. And if we're wise with finances, it could be achievable. Yet the New Testament calls us to a different part of giving. It doesn't say, this is what you've got to give It actually calls us to a newer space. It's actually harder. The New Testament, I think, places a higher and harder level of understanding in giving. The New Testament calls us to generosity, to to give not with a specific figure in mind as such, but rather to give sacrificially to the poor, to the marginalised, to support those in ministry who are sharing good news. And that's a massive commitment. And it may be a commitment that goes past the 10%. But I think Paul, in this context to the Corinthians, understands the rigours of that expectation. And he simply says, here's what the gospel does when it grabs hold of your heart. You don't just think in terms of giving the excess or giving the spare change. But you're showing up in the story that God's creating within you. A story that frees you from the past and what your life has been. A story that Jesus works in and through you for your greater good, a story where abundance is freely given. And the depth of the gift of the gospel brings me back to this abundance mindset, which takes away a scarcity mindset, and it moves me to respond with the gift. And as the Macedonians found, it was a gift that was a privilege. They wanted to give. They needed to give. They understood that the host had an endless supply. And they were willing to give to all. Paul continues in verse 7, saying, um, asking, no urging, no urging the Corinthian church. Sort of, they were asking the, the Corinthian church to be excellent in everything. They'd, 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 they'd done well. 
They said, you've done well. You've done well in faith, speech, and knowledge, and eagerness, in love. Good on your church. They followed Jesus well, but their giving wasn't a strong point. So he says, see to it that you excel in the grace, same word, of giving. See that you see excel well in this gift, this gift of giving. And verse 9 sums up the rest of it. For you know the grace, the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. It's the gospel in a verse, isn't it? As much as John 3.16, which we started off with. Christ could not be richer in who he was. He was very much God. He was part of the Trinity, yet for my sake became poor. Philippians 2 tells us he emptied himself that we may become rich, that we may receive that gift. And Paul urges each of us to respond. Respond like the Macedonians have responded. Respond to the wonderful gift by being a generous giver yourself. Respond to this idea of of abundance by saying, God, I can give generously. So what does it look like for you to give generously? Well, it'll look, look a little different for each of us, I'm sure. But it's the response that you need to ask God about for the greatest gift that he's been, that we can ever receive. Can I suggest thinking about the Macedonian church? One thing that it might look like. That it might be uncomfortable generosity. I, I sort of thought about radical generosity, but radical generosity sort of gives that idea that you're going to do something so out there that it could just leave you just stranded. Don't want that. But uncomfortable generosity. Just like, just like uncomfortable faith journeying. Stepping out into the unknown. It might be an uncomfortable generosity. Being generous to a level that makes you feel just that little bit, I'm going to really have to trust here. You might have felt it before. You might have seen it in your life before. The Macedonians gave in that way. I wonder if that's something that you can be challenged about. And I'm going to trust that in your giving, that you'll find the gift that the Macedonian church also found. That as you give, it's not that you'll receive more and more and more, rather that your joy will overflow. That Khan's kingdom is being built up in new and exciting ways. That you'll be living in an abundance mindset. That your host, our Lord, continues to provide. So live out the purpose he set before you in your vocation. Give uncomfortably, generously to the work of the kingdom of God. And in all and through all, find that gift of grace. Let me pray. Our Lord and God, we thank you for your word that comes true in our hearts and our lives. And we pray, God, that as we think about the gifts that you've given us, the gift of Jesus Christ, and especially as we walk towards Christmas and it becomes a lot closer now, we're reminded of that gift that gift that has given so much more than we can ever give back. So may our generosity be spurred on by your gift. Amen. Thanks, Pete.